please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 149. Psalm 149. I want to start by complimenting our church family this morning because I have been so encouraged how you responded to last week's message. This topic isn't something that I uh, frequently talk about. In fact, I, I think I mentioned last week I don't remember speaking on this in in a primary worship service uh, in the five years that I've been here. And so this topic of worship and music, um, when it comes up in the scripture, we deal with it, but but we take a pretty, um, you know, expository approach to the scriptures, which we're still going to follow today. But in regards to this area of music, I had asked you to listen to this subject with a heart that says, I'm willing to look at the Bible for what it says um, and, and take it for what it says and not take my opinion or someone else's opinion and read it back into the Bible. That's what my request was. And so for many, obviously I didn't hear from everyone and, and maybe those who didn't like the message, perhaps you weren't comfortable enough to um, to say anything. And let me just tell you, you're always welcome to come to us as a pastoral team. We, we love to hear your feedback. Um, but I did hear from many, many folks this week that represented all the generations at Calvary. And I was so thankful for the the support in truth that I heard. People who actually just wanted to hold to what the Bible says. And, and so that was very, very encouraging uh, to have that kind of a culture in this season of Calvary. And it's not always been the case. As I mentioned last week, um, across the board in, in Christian circles, this area of music has been so divisive. And people have fought over this for so long. And it's, it's been so sad to watch in my lifetime. Um, people just have so much division over it. And, and so we want to make sure that, uh, that we're constantly going back to the scriptures and we let the scriptures actually train our consciences, not people's opinions that they have then, uh, really kind of put into the scripture. And and so we want to be careful because even in, in the history here, there have been things that have been taught along these lines that were were applications, but they were held to, to really biblical principles, not just applications. And, and sometimes those applications were uh, made to where like there weren't any other applications. And and so we have to own that, that, that sometimes that was said here and things were said that that weren't actually just straight scripture. And so we want to be very, very careful in this season of time that the Bible is what dictates everything that we do. And for those of you who, who may be visiting, why now? Uh, because we are in the Psalms and we started in August working through different Psalms and we're working through towards the end of the year. We're obviously not covering all of them. But what better place to deal with worship and music than when we're talking about the Psalms? Because the Psalms were Israel's hymn book. And uh, it was, they were used and they still are today uh, in worship to the Lord. And so we thought, we thought that it would be fitting to address some of these things because the Psalms actually address them. And so that's uh, what we are doing. We started last week in Psalm 96 and answered the question, why do we sing? Why do we sing? Why is it so important? Why is it such a big deal? 
Well, the scriptures tell us in the first two verses just of that chapter, but many times in the scripture, uh, the scripture tells us that God wants us to sing. In fact, it's in the imperative. It's a command. It's an authoritative statement of something that God wants us to do. And so over 50 times in the scriptures, we see the command to sing to the Lord. So this really isn't an option for a believer. It's, it's one of the main responsibilities of every child of God. We are to sing. Whether you think you have a good voice or not, that does not matter. I've heard that excuse all my life. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up in God's standard. You are to sing to the Lord. And so when we come together and we, we worship the Lord, we want to be participants. We don't want to be spectators. We want to make sure that we are engaged in this process. Also, uh, I didn't go into a lot of detail last week, but um, singing can, and, and music can be of great comfort in times of trial. We've been talking about songs of the night and just seasons of hardship and trial and even discouragement and spiritual depression and things like that. We've dealt with many of these things. And music can be part of the process of God healing our hearts and helping us through the most difficult times. We see even in Scripture that where music was used to soothe the soul. And so we sing as well because it is a great comfort. And we also looked last week at just the, the building up of the church as we sing. We're supposed to speak the truth to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And so there's a, an educational element to it, and, and it's where we can instruct each other, as Don just did, in the rich doctrines of the truth uh, for us. And so we want to make sure that we understand it is our responsibility to sing, why we sing. So this morning, I want to talk about, really answer the question, how do we sing? How do we worship God? Well, let's start with the scripture, because I think that's where we want to always start and finish and everything in between. Um, but John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says this, But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we have, right from the scripture, a, a combination of truth connected to the spirit. Now, many people have asked about this text, is it God's spirit or is it our spirit? And, and my answer to that is that I believe it's both. Because John chapter 3 uh, verse 6, he helps us understand that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And so it's not either or, it's actually both and. So if we are new creatures in Christ, God's spirit actually lives inside of us. And, and our spirit owes its existence and its vibrancy to the spirit of God. And so true worship comes when from our spirits that have been made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit of God and God's Spirit and ignites and energizes our spirit. And so true worship is not external, it's internal. It's heart and head, as one writer has said it. And so when we come to worship our God, we start with, how do we do that? With our whole being with what we know about him and what we feel about him. 
It's the whole process that is involved in all that we are as we come to worship him. And so when we think about just a simple answer to the question, how do you worship God? I hope your answer will be with my whole person. I want to worship God with my whole person. Now, as we get into this topic, I know some people would love very specific ways, and you're actually maybe waiting for something to come out this morning that that you, you may be disappointed, because the Bible is just not very specific about music in regards to some of the things that, that we kind of like to know about. It leaves it actually pretty general. And I want to just remind us, as I have since I came here five years ago, the difference between a couple things when it comes to interpreting Scripture. The difference between function and form. And this is a very helpful thing. It may be new for the first time uh, for, for you, but I would love for every person who is part of Calvary Family to understand this. That the functions uh, it, that we find in Scripture are the direct biblical instruction for the church. That is what the church is supposed to do. The forms are the methods by which the church fulfills those functions. That is how the church puts it into practice. So, just very simply put, functions are the commands. And in the scripture, they're, they're many times very general. The forms, those are the applications. And when we look at the New Testament, often they're not described, often they're incomplete, and sometimes they're, they're actually changing as you look at the scriptures in a complete way. And so we have to be very, very careful that we understand what the functions are in regards to music that God has communicated to us and then what the forms would be and keep those two very, very uh, distinct. So when we look at the functions, as it says here, many times they're very general. So we're commanded to sing, and, and we're, we're commanded to, to gather together and do that corporately. We are supposed to assemble and sing. So really, if you boil everything down, the only instrument we fundamentally need in a worship service is our voice. We are told to come together as God's people and sing to the Lord. So that's that's pretty general. I mean, here's a couple passages of Scripture. In the New Testament, you take all the New Testament, there's not very much there in regards to specifics in regards to this area of music. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Okay, there's one. Not very specific. Here's a second one. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, very clear function. You must do this. You must sing to one another. And that gives you a variety of ways, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So different kinds of songs can be sung to the Lord. And, and really, the big focal point is with thankfulness in your heart to God. So that's about as specific as we get. Think about the whole New Testament in the area of music. It is so general. 
Which is why I will forever be amazed at why this issue has been so divisive for generations. You take something that God deliberately put very, very general in his New Testament, in description of the church, and yet it has been used to literally divide churches over and over and over again. And I want that just to settle in of the problem that this has been in church history. And I'm going to give you some illustrations about church history in just a minute. We're talking not just the last 50 years. We're talking about in the whole of church history. When you take just the simple New Testament and there's only a couple passages that speak to it and they're very, very general. How did we get so far off base? For centuries. Let's go back to the early days of the church, like 300 and 400 A.D., Can we even think back that far? Here's the the thoughts of two church fathers. And this is, uh, I believe, a quote. It should be pointed out that to sing hymns to God with an instrument, whether collectively in public worship with a group of Christians or in a private, private home, and or by oneself, would be Sinful. Did you hear that? We're talking 8,300, 8,400 church fathers to sing hymns to God with an instrument would be sinful. Goes on to say, any hymn singing must be done without the addition of an instrument for it, is, it, uh, for it to be acceptable to God. Now, aren't you glad we didn't take those two guys' opinions? Where do you get that? Okay, open the New Testament. Where do you get that? In the 10th through 12th century, the organ was actually introduced to worship by the Catholic Church, but it caused major problems that you would bring an organ into the worship of of God. So we just fast forward a few hundred years, still fighting over music, introduction of an organ. Then you fast forward to the 1800s when the piano was introduced, and that was a huge problem. In fact, it was a secular instrument that was said to be unfit for church. Aren't you glad we didn't take the opinion of those in the 10th century and those in the 1800s? Because their opinions from people who assumed authority and put their authority on people and said things that did not match the scripture. And that has been the problem. 
even in the last 50 years, in the worship wars that have been going on and on, it's the same concept where people will take their opinion and insert it as if it is biblical truth and it brings great problems for the church. And so I want us to make sure in this season of time, you have a pastoral team that is very united on this. And you have a deacon team as well of 27 other men. We are very united on this, that we do not want music to be an issue at Calvary Baptist Church. We want it to be part of our church because that's what God wants. But we are going to be very careful how we handle it. And if there are those who, who want to make it a bigger issue than what it should be from a biblical perspective, we're going to address that. Now, for those of you who are expecting some big change in our music, I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's not going to happen. We're just telling you why we do what we do. But we do want people to understand and, and operate from a true biblical perspective and understand the why behind it. Let's go to the scripture, Psalm 149 there, and just look at some of the things that God has said about music. Psalm 149, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker, let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. We're going to read Psalm 50 here in just a moment as well. But we have a psalm here that, that gives us a little bit of perspective, as many of the psalms do, on how we should sing. And the context of this psalm was, was a psalm of victory. Uh, some would suggest that it, it was a later psalm, and, and so it could be that it was written uh, when God's people were delivered from Babylon. It was a, definitely a song of victory, and, and really where, where the confidence of God's people standing in judgment upon other people. So we, we definitely understand the context here. And it begins here by saying, praise the Lord. And, and the, the Hebrew word there, hallelujah. And, and, and that's where we should focus in, in our hearts, in our song, is just singing a praise song of hallelujah. We, sang, we chose songs today with the word hallelujah in them purposefully to, to, to complement this passage. It starts with a hallelujah and ends with a hallelujah. Praise to the Lord and ends with praise to the Lord. Singing is an important, important part of worship for God's people. It helps give expression uh, to this new song that we have. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. And, and this is not the first time and the only time used in Scripture. In fact, the, this idea of new song is used many times, and, and it's actually used in a couple different ways. 
But I think it can be understood as a fresh expression of his grace. We sing a new song as we we understand new ways that his grace has come upon us. And so at the end of a victory where they have seen God's grace in in his uh, miraculous deliverance, there's a new song of, of thanks to God. In situations where God has done these new things and there's a new excitement, and here it is, it revolves around the victory of God. When we look at Revelation 5 and 14, there's a new song. And, and, and again, it's, it's kind of in connection to the final victory of God, of his deliverance. And so when we come together as God's people, as we have an example here, we have Israel. It's mentioned the congregation. Uh, the, the nation of Israel is mentioned and then sons of Zion. So it's collectively that they come together and praise the Lord. Now, how did they do that? Well, look at verse 3. Let, let them praise his name with dancing. And let them sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. So there's an aspect of, of even the physical movement in worship that was part of the worship of God. Now, I realize I am standing in the pulpit of, of a, of a independent Baptist church and I just read from the scripture that God's people danced and I understand the context here and and other times in scripture in Exodus chapter 15 and Judges chapter 11 with Jephthah's daughter in 1 Samuel 18 where you see the same types of idea in times of celebration of what God has done in his deliverance they sang to the Lord and they danced before him Now does this mean that we have to have dancing? No. Is it okay that some places around this world do? I say yes. Because I think it's a cultural thing here. I think if you, if you ever have the opportunity to travel in Israel, some of the, the cultural dynamics of the Bible, they, they make more sense to you. And so even in the Jewish culture and the types of dancing that were involved there, and this was a reality. And it was part of their worship to God. And I've traveled many places around the world and I've been in Africa and I've been in Latin America and I've been in places in the Middle East and Asia where I've, I've worshipped with all kinds of believers and there's all different kinds of movements in their worship. And, and it's, it's acceptable to God. It comes right from the scripture. Here we have, I think you can kind of make it to where, okay, it made sense in their culture. There were different instruments that were involved. There's, there's two that are mentioned here, but look at Psalm 150, if you would. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise in His mighty expanse. Praise his, for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with harp and lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There are so many instruments mentioned in the Bible, which is why I can't fathom that those early church fathers said it is unacceptable to to worship God with any instrument, any instrument. There are multiple, there's, I believe, over nine just mentioned right here. 
And there are a variety from brass to stringed instruments to percussion instruments. There's a variety. And those instruments produce different kinds of sounds. So for us to conclude that there are only certain things that are acceptable to God in in, in this particular way, I don't see how you get there from a biblical perspective. I just don't. There are physical expressions mentioned in the Bible. In Psalm 95, it talks about bowing down before the Lord. In 149 and 150, I already read them, it talks about dancing. In, in Psalm 47, it talks about clapping. Someone asked after the service last week if I was going to deal with clapping, and I said, yes, it's, it's in the Bible. They, they, they produced a clap offering to God. Somewhere along the line, we've, we've, we were told we can't clap in church. And I'm not trying to make anything here, a case for any of these things that would be distracting. But for us to say you can't do something that the Bible clearly says do. It's why we have lost a couple generations of young people who sat under teaching. And they read the Bible for themselves and then they heard people say things that that didn't match the Bible. And it made them bitter. Psalm 63 verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live and I will lift up my hands to you. Lifting up hands in, in worship is, is it's included. I'm not telling you you have to do any of these things because these are not commands. They're aspects of worship that we see in the scripture. But I was a part of a church. I was I worked in a church that in, in staff meeting, it was actually discussed. There was someone who came to church and they started to lift up their hands and it was actually a problem that was discussed. And the conclusion was that the staff was going to watch this person and at some point if they became distraction, they were going to be talked to. And I look back at that and I think, what in the world? I sat right down here for five years before my sabbatical, many times wanting to lift the Lord, lift my hands to the Lord, but in fear because of what you would think I didn't do it. I'm just being transparent with you. It was better for me to operate with the fear of man than doing what I believe the Spirit was directing me to do. Now, I'm not for changing the culture of how we worship. That's that's not the point here. The point is to get us to think from a biblical perspective because these problems have been going on for far too long, causing division. And I realize there are abuses. I, I read those physical expressions of worship, and I can give you... Many examples of things in, in, in groups of people who have abused these things in worship. And, and I, can, I, I wholeheartedly would call out that abuse. 
But what we did in more conservative circles, we cut everything out because some people abused it. Instead of dealing with abuses when they happen, we just cut it all off. So my appeal to you is, will you let the Bible speak to your life? And let it stand. And when man's opinion does not match it, let it fall away. I want to make sure you understand, because this is what we started from day one uh, when I got here, and um, just what drives the music here at Calvary. Some people have visited, and they're like, I'm trying to figure out where you guys are musically. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure what there is to figure out, because we are who we are. But what drives it? What are our core values? You may not have ever heard this before, but I thought it would be appropriate for you to find out today in, in regards to how we did, how we choose to sing here. But I would suggest, number one, our core value is it must be God-centered. Our fundamental uh, purpose in worship is a response to who God is. We were created to worship Him because of the fall. We have a, our, our sin problem hinders that, but God sent his son to redeem us and so that, that, that worship can be restored. And when we're made perfect in heaven, as you look at Revelation, there is continual worship happening. So we were created to worship. And, and so when we think about worship, the first place we must go to, we worship our God. We want to please him in corporate worship. That is paramount. Nothing outranks this. The hymn that was sung by Don, it was very God-centered. It talked about who God is, His character, and what He has done for us, and how He redeems us. And then a call to trust Him. It's a doxological approach to music. It's God-centered. He is the center of all of our worship. And we're not going to give on that. And so when we evaluate music, we're constantly taking it through this grid that I'm going to give you. But the starting point, does it reflect God in the way that he has revealed himself in the word? Is it accurate to the view of God, the nature of God that he has revealed to his people? I would say number two, it's word saturated. Sola Scriptura. It applies to our music. It means that we are to be entirely governed by the scriptures. So when there are when there are music options that come to the table and they do not match the scripture, we do not include them or we change them. And that happens on a regular basis. And that happens from old hymns that do not match the scripture. And some of some of the more biblical scholars here can tell you there are many old hymns written that are not accurate biblically and we have to change them and they have been changed through the years. Because we don't throw the whole thing out, we just change the part that doesn't reflect the scripture. And even the new songs, some of the new songs, there's there's statements in there we have changed because they're not accurate biblically and so we change them to make sure that we are saturated with the scripture. That passage that, I, uh, that we read earlier. We speak the truth to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So the songs must reflect truth. 
They must be saturated with the word of God. It is of utmost importance. And I want to just speak to, um, I, I have said it one other time in an announcement, I believe, but I want to speak to the idea of repetition because I hear on a, not so much anymore, but I used to hear all the time, of all the, the new music, it's just so repetitive. I just hate, hate the repetition. And I want to address that because I'm going to ask you to stop saying that. Because when you look at how the Psalms were written, they're actually very repetitive. Take Psalm 136, the phrase, for his loving kindness is everlasting. It's repeated in every verse 26 times in one song. The same phrase is repeated. So we have to be very, very careful that, that we, we don't put an opinion on something that actually God uses himself, repetition. Now it's got to be truth, and I understand that. Truth about God and truth about ourselves. But when I was growing up, I never heard this complaint about some of the old hymns. And I'm, I'm not trying to kill anyone's joy here, but if you remember the song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, I'm a, I don't think I'll sing it for you. <laughs> Maybe I will, because it's so familiar as a kid. When the roll is called up yonder, 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 there's three other words, I'll be there. No one ever complained about that song in repetition when I was growing up. No one ever did. But a song that was written in the current day in which I grew up, that repeated something a few times, it was critiqued and scathed. And I'm just highlighting the inconsistencies. And it didn't compute to some young people like myself who grew up hearing something and then reading something. It was very, very different. And I want to give a shout out to my music pastor from when I was a kid. He's actually here this morning unplanned. And when I saw him, like, oh, great, I'm speaking on music. The one day you attend our church in five years, Doug Frick is here. But he was part of the pastoral team, and he was my music, my choir director. He, he led an ensemble that was some of the best memories of my, my high school. But he did not present music in a crazy way. It was balanced, and it created a love in our hearts for worshiping God. And I can publicly thank him for that today. But I was fortunate to be under him. And there was a lot of people who, who, who did not take that same approach. And it was inconsistent. And things were said that did not match the scripture. Our words, they must be truth-saturated. Our songs, they must be word-saturated. I would say, number three, our music should be gospel-focused. The gospel of Lord Jesus Christ must remain at the center of our worship if we are to be faithful in communicating God's transcendence and his imminence and his majesty and his holiness, we have to understand that because of who Jesus is, we, we have access to him. And so the gospel must 
be part and, and it must saturate our worship. I would suggest as well, heart-oriented. Our worship ought to be something that, as I mentioned from John 4, it engages the whole person. It's not just a, a dull recitation of familiar hymns. It actually should be overflowing of the heart. It should engage our whole person. God's truth should be penetrating our thoughts and our minds and causing us then to respond in praise to him and expression to him. It should be emotional. And I know that's hard for people to hear. But God deals with our hearts in the preaching, hopefully. Why would we want him to deal with the hearts in, in, in the music? It's heart-oriented. Lastly is culturally accessible. I would suggest that it, it must make sense for people. The words must make sense, and so we're very, very careful that in the style that we present and even the language, that um, even some of, some of the old English words we don't use in, in our culture anymore. So some of the hymns, we actually change some of the old English words to make them understandable for people in the modern day in which we live. And I would suggest the same could be applied to the style of it. The style if it's archaic, it probably is not going to connect. Now, I realize there's a whole spectrum, and I don't want to critique the spectrum because um, today you have people who um, really, really enjoy a, a very formal high church, liturgical style. In fact, it's become a little bit more popular through the years of Gregorian chants and things like that, but there, there's a whole spectrum. So you have that spectrum all the way to a very current sound with, with a band and, and, and that kind of approach. So there's this, this whole spectrum of worship today. And, and, and so we have to be very, very careful, but I, I'm suggesting that as, as far as the cultural accessibility to it, it needs to connect with people. And each generation must appropriate, uh, appropriate and express scriptural truth in, in the genres that, that connect to the culture. I, that's, that's, where I, that's where I land. I've never been able to understand, and maybe it's because I grew up in Indiana, why some people would allowance, leave allowance for southern gospel music. So you have real conservative people that they have this little compartment for southern gospel music, right? And, and they can use certain instruments in southern gospel, um, but, but not, not in other areas of Christian music. And that was always okay. Can you help me understand that? I know I didn't grow up in the south, um, but, but maybe it's, you add a little twang to it and it's okay. I, I, I don't know. But it just doesn't come across very consistent to me. And I'm not against Southern Gospel music. Obviously, it's not my favorite, but it, it, I'm not against it. So I'm not trying to run anyone off here who, who loves that, because I know there's a lot of you who do. But I, I'm just trying to get us to think consistently that, that our music can connect to our culture. And if you've had the opportunity, and I hope you do someday, that you can worship in other places of the world and, and watch the worship connect to their cultural expressions, it's really beautiful. 
And so whether you, it's the very traditional choral aspect, and we have that. Our choir will be singing next week. We see choirs in the scripture, and, and we still use a choir. It provides a, a, an opportunity for many people to, to use their gifts and, and, and make beautiful music to the Lord. But you have that perspective all the way to the more contemporary, the current sound. And I think we, wherever you fall on that spectrum, where you have to be very careful is turning it into a performance and not worship. And, and I have seen it on both ends of the spectrum. I have been in very traditional music settings, choral, choir, and I have seen very little of Jesus in those settings, a lot of excellence, and a lot of like real rigorous critique on people and how they do it, and, and even in the performances or the way that it was done in a church service or in a, in a concert setting that was sacred where the performer was actually lifted up. Did you, that was amazing how that person can play the piano. Very little of Jesus, but the person's known to be the best piano player in the area. So I've seen it in very traditional settings, but I've also seen it in very current settings as well, where it is all about the performance and the way the person can play a guitar or a drum or, or, or whatever. The problem is, in our hearts, we get distracted from what God intended. It's supposed to be worship to Him. With our whole heart, we're not supposed to rob God of his glory in any way and take it and, and, and so that we look good. It's supposed to be solely for him. But many times we mess it up, no matter if you're on this end of the spectrum or if you're on this end of the spectrum. Music can become very man-centered on both spectrums or on both ends of the spectrum. We typically only call it out on one side, though. Where, where's Calvary today? The pastoral team, we have discussed this at length in the last year, and we had a very long discussion, good discussion, with the deacon team. And both groups of men who you chose to lead this church were in agreement that Calvary has found a really, really balanced place for music. And in 2022 as we try to relate to our culture, but be very God-centered, word-saturated, gospel-focused, something that connects to the heart, we try very diligently every single week to be very careful about each song that we pick, that it makes sense in a flow of a progression towards worship. And we have, in the last couple, few years, added different instrumentation, and there may be different other instrument, instruments that come. But what you see is what you get. And, and, and we're not trying to like be anyone who we're not. We're just trying to present the truth of God in a way for it to connect our hearts so we can sing to the Lord. And so you, you, you may have this consequence, where's Calvary going? Where's their music going? It's not going anywhere. We're going to sing to the Lord. And hopefully more and more our hearts will be engaged as we do so. 
and we're going to corporately love our Jesus and lift him high. And we're going to be very, very careful when we have opinions, and we all do, and it's fine that they're different. Hear me. It is fine that we have different opinions on this subject. But the one thing we can't have is a different opinion about what the Bible says. The Bible needs to stand on its own. And until we compromise that, let's be very careful to keep our perspectives and our opinions doesn't mean we can't talk about them in a healthy way. We want to have good conversation. But we want to leave allowances for people on both sides of the spectrum, more conservative and more current. We want to leave a little bit of freedom there because the Bible actually leaves a lot of freedom there. And so it's our prayer as a pastoral team, and, and I even brought it up in, two, in our staff meeting on Tuesday. It's like, okay, are you good with we we are in unity? We are unified on this subject matter. We do not want it to be an issue here that divides any longer. We want to be very diligent to keep things according to these core values that, that you see on the screen, and we will protect those. And we're going to be cautious that we don't rob God of his glory in times of worship. We don't want it a performance. We don't want anyone to be remembered but Jesus. But we're going to be consistent to apply that across the board. And as we do, I think we'll find a very healthy atmosphere in our midst. Children of God living together with very different perspectives. But because the unity is here by the Spirit and we're actually diligent to preserve it, it can be a really beautiful thing. And there's a lot of places in this world where that happens every single day and every single week. And it's glorious because that's what's heaven. It's, heaven's going to be like that. And hopefully you can take what is said today. If you take anything, just take the scripture. Let the scripture stand for itself. That's our heart. That's our prayer. Would you close with me by bowing your heads and just giving a moment to respond. I would just close our time with just asking the question, have you handled this subject well through the years? Have you been careful to let the scripture be the one voice that speaks? Maybe perhaps 
there, this has been an area of struggle for you. And I understand sometimes it was because of, of how we were taught. Sometimes it's because we hold our opinions above the scripture. And we have to be real careful about that. And so I'm, I'm asking you on behalf of the pastoral team, would you, would you, as we look forward to the future, would you be very careful with this issue? Would you let the scripture just speak and really come on a regular basis with just a heart to sing to the Lord? A heart to join with people who are different than you and worship on a regular basis in a way that pleases Jesus. That's our, that's our desire. That's our request. Our God in heaven, thank you that you sing over us. Thank you that you delight in us. Thank you that you are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. God, you are holy and you are loving and you are kind and you are merciful. God, we again, we want our worship to be centered around you. We want it to be just saturated with your truth and what you have revealed. And we want the gospel to flavor it because the gospel is the good news of you, Jesus. So, Lord, we want to sing about it. God, I pray that our music will touch our hearts, that we will sing with all that we are. And I pray that you just help us to handle the cultural aspects well. Help us to be very careful and wise as we do that. Lord, help us to be consistent and help us to be faithful to be diligent to preserve the unity that you have given by your spirit to your church. We love you, God. Thank you for your truth. Please help it to just saturate our minds. In your holy and precious name I pray.